Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Prince Harry makes a surprise appearance in London as lawyer Nima Romani breaks down his tabloid case. Whether it's at the summary judgment phase or whether it's at the full trial phase, this is a case that may be decided by a judge there in the UK all along. So there's really no right to a jury. So I understand why the prince is doing this. Plus, King Charles' plans for a slimmed down monarchy are being revealed. So I think that a lot of these might seem really sensationalist changes. You know, he's always evicting people. I think really it's it's just practicality and sort of making some more, you know, thoughtful choices. And royal author Alexander Larman discusses his new book, The Windsors at War, and how it relates to Harry and William's icy relationship. But to publish a book like Spare with that level of attack on your family is essentially ending any kind of relationship you're ever going to have. We've got that plus so much more on today's Royally Us. Hello to our fellow royal lovers and welcome to Royally Us. I'm Christina, that's Christine, and we got some big news this week. Prince Harry making a surprise appearance in London. Um, we're going to break down his tabloid case, but a lot of big uh, royal news. I feel like we're creeping closer to the coronation. The news all feels very serious and lots of history being made this week. So I'm excited to get into it. Definitely. We are getting into it. But before we do, let's see what you guys had to say about last week's show. John says, what a star to have. What a star the royal family have in Kate. It's great to see how she's blossomed over the years. I love how she lights up when she interacts with children. William certainly struck gold when he found her. I think a lot of people probably <laughs> agree with that sentiment. Um, I want people to talk to my husband about me the way that they seriously (laughs) yes my husband is so lucky that he found a gem just like me Um, next up goes to carla says how can harry sue the media for misrepresenting him in an article when harry has done this to so many people in his interviews netflix and book i feel like we've kind of talked about this and tackled this before i think a lot of people have that same thought why is it okay for him to kind of trash people, but not okay for others to do so to them. Yeah, it's definitely he's definitely made his own arguments blurry through the book, through the Netflix series, through all the interviews. He sort of hurt himself in this case. Yeah, 100%. And then finally, Dave says, since Harry admitted publicly to having taken a variety of illegal substances, he should have indicated that on his visa application, which apparently remains private. I could say he should be deported because there should not be a law for the privileged and one for those who are not, but the UK does not want to see him return to the country. He <laughs> (laughs) turns his back on. Um, Probably another sentiment that a 
lot of people agree with. <laughs> I have seen a lot of comments in this story where people are like, wait, wait, we don't want him back. You know? <laughs> yeah. You can take him, but um, yeah, it's, I don't know if we'll, I don't really think that he'll get deported because once uh, he's here, it's kind of hard for him to leave. But, um, you know, stranger things have happened, as we know, with the royal family. So we'll have to wait and see. But Prince Harry, let's get into our royal roundup. He is in London. He did make a surprise appearance attending the high court for the legal case in which he and other prominent figures like Elton John and Elizabeth Hurley, they are suing the Associated Newspapers, the Daily Mail, Mail on Sunday for illegal information gathering. So this is a four day hearing and it will consider legal arguments from both sides and will conclude with the judge's ruling on whether the case should go to trial. Um, they are arguing that this case should be the newspapers are arguing that this case should be thrown out. Surprising that Harry did make the trip for this since this is not a trial case yet. Um, this is kind of just the preliminary stages of everything. So interesting that he did make the trip to London for a surprise visit for this. Yeah, this has been so interesting, so much discussion as to why he came. Was he always planning to come? You know, right now, William and uh, Prince William and King Charles are not in London. Did that sort of, you know, aid in his decision on whether or not to come? There was a lot of rumors maybe about a week ago that he was going to come, but nothing was confirmed. But in this, this these hearings, he's not really necessary. His presence is just sort of, you know, an extraneous to what they're trying to achieve. It is bringing attention to the court case, but it would have gotten attention anyway. So a lot of people are questioning why he's decided to come. And then it raises so many other questions in terms of his, you know, the security, the, the, you know, transportation, where is he staying? And we're not getting answers to any of those questions, but it's just sort of fueling the fire and fueling the stories over the last several weeks. Yeah, it is interesting. Like you said, a lot of questions about where he is, why he felt comfortable enough, you know, when protection is such a big priority for him and a big topic of conversation and um, why it was okay for him that he felt comfortable enough to come here without that protection that he probably feels like he should have. But on Prince Harry's second day of appearance, he submitted a witness statement, which says he was made to adopt the family policy of never complain, never explain. So he said following the death of his mother in 1997, when he was just 12, he said that the treatment, her treatment at the hand of the press, he had always had an uneasy relationship with the press, which we have known. But he said that as being a member of the institution, he was conditioned to accept that never complain, never explain policy. So he added that the situation between the press got worse after he started dating Megan. She became pregnant in 2018. So then he said that he became aware that he had a claim against news group newspapers over phone hacking that he can bring back in 2018. So he said in the statement, the institution was without a doubt withholding information from me for a long time about NGN's phone hacking. And that has only become clear in recent years as I have pursued my own claim with different legal advice and representation. He added, it is not an exaggeration to say that the bubble burst in terms of what I knew in 2020 when he moved out of, out of the United Kingdom. Obviously, that is when he and Meghan stepped down from the royal family. He said, to this day, there are members of the royal family and friends of mine who may have been targeted by NGN, and I have no idea whether they have or have not brought claims. There was never any centralized discussion between us about who had brought claims as each office in the institution is is siloed. There is this misconception that we are all in constant communication with one another, but that is not true. He said that this claim was not just about him. He's bringing it because he loves his country deeply and he remains concerned about these unchecked powers of the press. So it seems like he is taking this very seriously and will be 
continuing to appear in court with over the next few days. But we wanted to break down this case even more for you. And to do that is president of West Coast Trial Lawyers, Nima Romani. He's a a co-host of our legal series, Legally Us, if you want to check that one out after this one. Um, But here is Nima kind of breaking down this tabloid case. Take a look. Harry is suing the home office, arguing that they should reinstate his police protection that he and his family lost when they stepped down as working royals. So his lawsuit said that the Mail on Sunday article implied that Harry was putting a PR spin on his offer to pay for his protection and that this only came at a later date while he suggested it happened all along. So what exactly is a summary judgment? Yeah. So summary judgment is when a judge rules that there's no triable issue of fact. So that means in sort of layman's terms that no reasonable jury can find the other way. So normally what happens in cases where someone sues someone else, a plaintiff sues a defendant, the defendant will file a motion for summary judgment and the defendant will argue, hey, judge, no reasonable jury can find in favor of the plaintiff. But what's interesting here is Harry is not the defendant. He's the plaintiff. He's the one suing. So normally plaintiffs don't file for summary judgment because usually a juror can find either way. But the interesting legal wrinkle is here in the United States, and we talked about it with Johnny Depp and Amber Heard and other defamation cases. Cases is in the United States, the burden is on a plaintiff in a defamation case to mm-hmm. prove that the statement was false. But the defamation laws are more favorable to plaintiffs in Europe. In Europe, the burden is on the defendant to prove that the statement was substantially true. So, you know, this is a unique case where the prince may be trying to be aggressive and put pressure on the tabloids to make sure that they don't go after him or report on him. But he may actually be able to get summary judgment because, again, the burden on those types of defamation cases in the UK is on the defendant. Got it. So this is not like a complete waste of time for Harry then. It seems like he may almost have a leg up in this case. He may. And the other important fact is, you know, and we saw this with Johnny Depp's first defamation case there in the UK. We have jury trials here for a lot of cases, including civil defamation cases. But oftentimes in Europe, judges decide these cases. They don't even make it to a jury. And then Johnny Depp's first defamation case, that was an issue for a UK judge. So whether it's at the summary judgment phase or whether it's at the full trial phase. This is a case that may be decided by a judge there in the UK all along. So there's really no right to a jury. So I understand why the prince is doing this. Definitely. Does it seem like the tabloids could really sway the home office, though, to lessen their protection for Harry? Because, I mean, that's kind of what he's arguing here. And it doesn't really seem like you'd put somebody's protection at risk for a tabloid. <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, there's rules that apply. And just like in the United States, obviously, we don't have a royal family. But, you know, Donald Trump is a former president. And there's the possibility that you may be charged with a crime. But that doesn't mean that he's going to lose Secret Service protection. He's always going to have it, regardless of whether he's the president or a former president, or if he's charged for a crime, that type of protection and those laws apply regardless. And I don't expect that there would be any shift or change because of how tabloids are reporting on the issue. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether or not this takes that step forward. And we'll we'll recap it next week once we get the um, the answer to that one. But, you know, there, there's Harry in London for you. <laughs> <laughs> and he can never just go in quietly. I even think I think he tried to come in quietly this time. Right. And it just- it just goes to show that he he really can't, you know, no, definitely can't. You're not going to go unnoticed over here. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, while Harry is big, busy in court, Duchess Kate is busy with her with her um, initiative, obviously, for young, uh, shaping the minds of young children. So she's urging employers to support families and caregivers raising these young children in a recent op ed published in the Financial Times. 
She discussed the importance of development in the first five years of children's lives and why support is needed by both parents and their employers to have a healthy um, environment to grow and to foster. So she spoke with Richard Walker, who is the executive chairman of Iceland, about early development, and she launched a business task force for early childhood um, this week to figure out a way to prioritize early childhood. And she said, in order for this to happen, environments need to support parents well-being in the workforce, so, so take a look. And this is the thing, it's around, around normalizing those emotions, giving the parents, your customers here, or even your employees, the okay to talk about emotions in the first place. A lot of parents we've heard time and time again feel judged, and often yeah. in the spaces where they spend most time. I mean, she's not wrong that there's so many different factors that go into making you the best parent that you need to be for your children, especially at such a young age. And a lot of it does, you know, begin in the in the workplace. Yeah, it's it's such an interesting conversation. I think that especially in the UK right now, there's so much conversation. They've just, um, you know, approved more government funded uh, nursery and childcare so that more parents can go back into the workforce sooner or, you know, for more hours. So a lot's happening in the UK to give parents more support so that they can then support their children better so that those children have better early childhood experiences. It's really interesting work in action. Yeah. Um, I love that she went to Iceland. Iceland is a very accessible sort of very normal place to shop. It's not, you know, the, your hoity-toity fancy grocery store. It's a very normal place that, uh, that people like to go. So this was a really great conversation to start to maybe encourage other companies, whether it's small businesses, whether it's massive corporations, you know, you're talking about like Ikea and Lego, mm -hmm. um, that they can, you know, by supporting families, they can then support the next generation of employees. Yeah, no, it's definitely, I, I wonder what it would be like just walking through the supermarket and seeing, <laughs> you know, there's the princess of Wales, you know, she's right. us. I love it. <laughs> love to see it. All right. Well, moving on to King Charles and Queen Camilla, they postponed their visit to France due to the violent riots that are happening now across the country. They were protests hit uh, Paris and Bordeaux, where they were scheduled to visit starting um, this past Sunday. Buckingham Palace later issued a statement saying that they would not be going to France. However, they will plan to visit Germany um, this week. So thousands of people took the streets of Paris and um, to protest against the president's push through legislation, raising the French retirement age from 62 to 64 without a vote in parliament. So, yeah, I guess they felt like the unrest was too much. They wanted to cancel their trip and they did. So maybe they'll be back once things kind of calm down. Yeah, I think it was um, President Macron who sort of canceled the trip, said we can't really put our best foot forward. This was going to be the most incredible state visit. I mean, like a glittering state dinner at the Palace of Versailles. So I think they really, the French government really said, listen, we cannot do this the best way that we would like to. A lot of this visit is about sort of securing and reassuring both countries of that very friendly relationship. And so with the unrest in the country, they sort of had to take care of their own, you know, their in-house right. issues mm -hmm. before they tried to put on the glitz and the glamour for the king of England. Right. Well, they still will be in Germany. Then this is their first official trip um, as king and queen. So, um, you know, still a lot to look forward to, but hopefully we get that big fanfare in, in, in France uh, at, at a later date. Yes, definitely. Well, uh, Prince William was in Poland, so he met with Polish president and paid tribute to the country who's fallen and spent some time with refugees from Ukraine. Uh, his spokesperson said the Prince of Wales took the opportunity to thank the president and the Polish people who have done so much to support the people of Ukraine who fled here. They've discussed the importance of the need for ongoing support 
support to Ukraine and its people. So during his time also in Poland, he went to a restaurant at an LGBTQ uh, friendly restaurant. He was spotted at a bistro in Warsaw. And um, it's they they posted this really playful clip on Instagram and it was seen taping a homemade Prince William sign to a sign to a wooden chair and they captioned it. We are surprised too, but where else would he feel nice and safe than in our queer and loving space? We did what we do best. We fed and the rest is history. So yeah, it seems like he had a really good trip to Poland, had some good food, good company, good environment, and, you know, um, and did some good work. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Yeah, I loved this so much. So the visit to Poland was under strict embargo for a really long time for, um, you know, security purposes. And if you watch the video, he the videos of his visit, he is so closely guarded the entire time, much more aggressively than he is on normal visits to the UK. And then to see him sort of, this was after hours, an unofficial visit. He went with his aides and some of his um, press team to dinner at this LGBTQ plus restaurant. You know, Poland is not, is still, you know, not as progressive as the UK or America in their rights for the LGBT community. And so this was a huge step for those people to see Prince William supporting them in such a public way, knowing that he would probably be seen. Uh, that was a really wonderful, un unplanned, under the radar, but still very, very kind gesture. I love to see it. All right, let's spill some royalty. And the National Press reported that after um, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex were asked to vacate their home at Windsor Castle, the Times of London is now reporting that other family members will receive the same news. So London's Evening Standard newspaper quotes a royal household figure saying it's not about cuts. It's about getting the best value for money from those on the payroll. Sometimes less is more. Another reportedly said the king is not some sort of housing association for distant relatives. So the Times reports that the plan under the new monarch is for the properties to be let at commercial rates and made available to people outside of the royal family. That's interesting. In line with Charles's long known desire for a slimmed down monarchy. So it seems like this is a way to get the ball rolling. Royal figures are housed all over the country, as we know, with several benefiting from uh, apartments in London, St. James Palace, uh, Kensington Palace, and his siblings um, all have, you know, uh, royal uh, royal residences everywhere as well. So this is definitely, we talked about this with Gareth a little bit as well recently, how maybe Prince Andrew would be living at Windsor and Harry and Meghan would be staying at Kensington Palace once they, um, or Buckingham Palace when they, they come to visit. So it seems like this slimmed down monarchy, he's definitely making some cuts and some changes. Yeah, there's definitely some movement happening 
some of it just seems logical. Prince Andrew really does not need an enormous, enormous house on the Windsor Great Parker Estate and Buckingham Palace apartment. It's only a 40 minute drive. It's really not that far. Um, so I think that a lot of these might seem really sensationalist changes. You know, he's always oh, evicting people. I think really it's, it's just practicality and sort of making some more, you know, thoughtful choices as the UK is in a massive cost of living crisis. Um, you know, the monarchy really can't, you know, is trying to minimize its uh, weight on the taxpayer. And another way to make income would be to use the significant amount of housing throughout, you know, the royal estates. Yeah. So we'll, it'll be interesting to see who goes where and, you know, if they're opening it up to other places that they're going to, you know, put this on Airbnb. If you want to stay <laughs> make some money, we'll see what happens. I will book now. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, we talked a little bit about this story last week. Brian Cox from Succession, so random, spoke about Harry and Meghan, but he is backtracking now on some of the comments that he made, saying that the media took his words out of context. So he, he was interviewed again by the Radio Times, and he says now that he has enormous sympathy for the royals. Um, he previously showed very little sympathy for the couple um, saying that Megan knew what she got herself into. She fantasized about marrying Prince uh, Prince Charming. But now he's saying that um, that he thinks that they are victims, meaning Harry and Megan. And he also said that he was a bit angry that his words were taken out of context. So glad Brian could clear that up. We were all wondering what Brian from Succession was thinking about Harry and Megan. <laughs> Such an interesting story. I think it goes to show that a lot of a lot of celebrities, you know, there was a time when we didn't hyper analyze everything that every celebrity said. And now I think Brian Cox is seeing that in action where his words are being sort of taken out of context, blasted all over the Internet. And he's saying, whoa, whoa, that's not actually what I meant. So an interesting example of how, you know, the media can really fuel a fire. It's so true. He's like, just watch my amazing television <laughs> show. Don't worry what I have to think about Harry and Meghan. Right. <laughs> all right. Well, now it is time to break down the royal rules. And joining us this week is author of The War of Windsor's Alexander Larman. We're going to talk all about the book and how this may have some parallels to Harry and William's relationship. Take a look. Well, Alexander, thank you so much for joining me. Um, congratulations on the book. It's such a fascinating read. So first of all, what made you want to write this? Well, Christine, first of all, thank you very much. And it's a pleasure to be talking to you today. Um, what happened is that my last book, The Crowning Crisis, was the first book that was going to become a trilogy. And after I finished writing it, I was so fascinated by the subject of Edward VIII and Wallace and George VI that I thought, well, I can't stop there. I've got to carry on. There's a lot more to say. And as I was writing Windsor's at War, I became absolutely fascinated by the idea, first of all, the relationship between the two brothers and how that was affected by the advent of war and about what was going on, but also the much wider context of what happens mm -hmm. if you have a king, you never wanted to be king, and war breaks out. I mean, it's your absolute worst nightmare. So I suppose what I was very interested in doing was exploring these heightened psychological stakes in this circumstance. So when you were going through these letters, what, what did you sense was the deep core meaning of these disagreements and these arguments? Well, the two major disagreements between the two of them were money and Wallace, and specifically Wallace's HRH status. Mm -hmm. in, in the case of money, I don't think that Edward VIII had realised that when he abdicated the throne, 
he was also losing a vast amount of money that was going along with it. And so he came to an arrangement with his brother that he'd be given a grant of £25,000 a year, which would be the equivalent of about $2 million a year now, which is you know a huge amount of money, but nothing like as much money as he would have expected to have if he was king. So that was a huge amount of disagreement between them. And you can see in these letters, there's this carping on about money that you think is quite funny after a while because it's, I mean, the Duke of Windsor goes on about it so obsessively that it's clearly become this thing he's absolutely obsessed, absolutely fixated on. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that was a major issue was that of that of, because Wallace Simpson and Edward, well, they married in the summer of 1937. And what Edward wanted for his wife was for her to be given an HRH title, which the royal family absolutely refused to do under any circumstances because they did not believe that she was entitled to anything because she was absolutely despised. She was somebody who was seen as having caused more difficulty to the royal family than anyone sort of a Cromwell. So essentially, the idea is, is that she was kept at arm's length and Queen Mary, Edward and George's mother, just refused to acknowledge her or acknowledge her existence. So you can see this enormous tension between the two brothers. And then, of course, for Edward's Nazi sympathies, which made matters even worse. I mean, ever since Harry left the royal family, people have been drawing back to this uh, comparison. But as somebody that has fully researched it, do you see those parallels? Oh, yes, absolutely. I think there's absolutely no doubt whatsoever that the William-Harry relationship has loads of parallels between George VI and 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 George and, and um, Edward VIII. Because what you can see is that Harry and William are both married to very strong women. There's very much a sense that the wives have influenced their thinking, they've influenced their actions towards each other. And it's exactly the same thing with George VI and with the Duke of Windsor, that Wallace and Queen Elizabeth are both very strong women as well. And you can really see now that the William and Harry relationship, I mean, in Britain, it's speculated about so much, the idea of will they be together, will they talk to each other? I mean, I think it's fair to say no, because after Harry published Spare, he knew exactly what he was doing, or if he didn't know what he was doing, he's even more stupid than we thought he was. Mm-hmm. And but I mean, anyone who isn't, you know, completely imbecilic would have known that to publish a book like Spare with that level of attack on your family is essentially ending any kind of relationship you're ever going to have. And I think that that the Duke of Windsor knew something very similar because he published his own memoir called A King's Story. And that was, if that wasn't an attack on his family, the way that Spare was, but it certainly, you know, that caused quite a lot of controversy when that came out as well. And you can see the history has repeated itself because you can see that in the context of royal relationships, where there is the heir and the spare, there's always, I think, a sense of on both sides that the heir looks at the spare and thinks, you have all the benefits of this life and none of the difficulty. And the spare looks at the heir and thinks, yes, but on the other hand, I am faced with a situation that I can't get out of this. I'm always a member of a royal family. It is a life sentence about the possibility of parole. And of course, we saw it with Queen Elizabeth and Princess Margaret, that we saw that Queen Elizabeth was the dutiful one who was well-behaved and was a public figure. And Princess Margaret was a sort of playgirl. She was going about the place and having a good time and being very imperious and thinking that she could do what she liked. So, yeah, I mean, the William and Harry thing and the feud, which is now very much in public domain, it's very similar in so many regards between the George VI and the Duke of Windsor. What rift do you feel runs deeper? (laughs) 
Well, I mean, we're not done with this one, are right, we? That's I mean, I think that got a ways to go. <laughs> I mean, it seems clear to me that Harry has no interest whatsoever in reconciling with his family. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, he's got a new life now. It's it's a completely different life to one of, of, and I mean, he can't go back to it. I mean, there's no possibility he's going to come back to Britain and lead any sort of normal life here. I mean, the fact that, you know, while we're speaking, he's in Britain you know, at, at the High Court, but none of his family are seeing him. And that's quite telling that apparently he, he tried to see King Charles, but King Charles said he was too busy. Mm-hmm. So you think, because I mean, there's been a lot of discussion and a lot of speculation as to will Harry and Meghan go to the coronation. Now, I don't know at the time of speaking to you what's going to happen. I'd be amazed if at least Harry doesn't, mm-hmm. because if he didn't go to the coronation, he's essentially saying, I am not going to have any relationship with my family ever again. And of course, the trouble is, is that when you stop being a member of the royal family, as the Chick of Windsor more or less did, then what do you have going for you instead? I mean, you're a celebrity, which is great, but you're a celebrity based on something that you used to be. And that's quite a difficult long term means of sustaining your fame. Do you feel like the royals want nothing to do with Harry at this point now? Well, I'm on record as saying that I think that they should have responded. I think that William should have given an interview in which he extended the hand of brotherhood, that he should have said, we're all very concerned about him. You know, we understand that he has most awful traumatic shock when his mother died so young. You know, we know life has been hard for him. I mean, the thing is, the royal family's mother has always been never complained, never explained. And that's done from very well. But you, you do wonder... When a member of a royal family is not playing by the same rules as you, how well it's going to go in the long term. Because it was the same thing with Duke of Windsor, that he wasn't playing by any of the, the established rules because they'd all been torn up for him. So he was a complete loose cannon. And so there wasn't an awful lot that his family could do in order to, to, to rein him in. Because if you can't take somebody's money away, you can't take their royal status away, what can you do? Definitely an interesting read. If you haven't checked it out already, it is the War of Windsors. Um, All right, let's get into our Royal History Moment of the Week. You know, we are just a little more than a month away from the coronation and a lot of preparation is underway. And you are dealing with some, you know, things that are hundreds and hundreds of years old that they have to preserve and make sure it looks um, beautiful for the big day. And one of those things is the, the... throne that King Charles will sit on. So during the the crowning and anointing parts of the ceremony, which are said to be the most sacred parts, he will sit upon a 700-year-old coronation chair. It's crazy if you kind of wrap your head around that. It is 700 years old. So this has been at the center of English coronation since it was made by order of King Edward I between 1300 and 1301. Um, Westminster Abbey, where, of course, the throne is located, describes the chair as one of the most precious and famous pieces of furniture in the world. Um, so that it's a, you know, 700 years old. It's very fragile. It's got a lot of piece of history and it's currently undergoing some conservation work to ensure it'll be in top condition when the ceremony arrives in spring. This is just so cool. Like the, just the amount of history that really goes into something like this and to make sure that everything is preserved and, um, you know, up to date. I think it's, it's going to be such an amazing affair to kind of watch firsthand. Yeah, I know. And if you, if you think really about the history and sort of the sacred rituals that are going on it is very fairy tale it's very much like the coronations we would have seen in films you know as children or even as adults it's there's a mysticism and really a magic to it and now that we get closer i think people are getting 
more and more excited. We're really diving into the history of it. And I just, I'm really looking forward to it. I cannot wait. It's going to be so great. What an amazing, we're, we're going to be watching history in the making. Yes. yes. I'm so excited. <laughs> All right. Well, that is it for this week's episode of Royally Us. Please keep commenting, keep subscribing, and we'll see you guys next week. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. <laughs> AutoTrader. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.